0: Good morning. Uh, My name's Krish Majumdar. I'm the chairman of BAFTA's Television Committee. Welcome to Meet the Drama Controllers session uh, today, where we have the four uh, heads of drama from the four leading broadcasters: BBC, uh, ITV, Channel Four, and Sky. Today, I think this might be the first time they've all been on stage together, and they'll be interviewed by the journalist Benji Wilson. Before. Benji takes it away. I just want to say a few words about BAFTA. You may know that we are an academy and we're a charity. Uh, We're not just an awards giving body. And for me, BAFTA is about two things. It's about excellence and inspiration, excellence in the awards that we give and inspiration in the many events that we do throughout the year. Um, We do lots of masterclasses, uh, preview screenings with Q&As, and talks uh, and many of them are recorded either podcasted or audio podcasted or video recorded uh, and they're all on the BAFTA website BAFTA Guru so please check them out there are a few things you should check out I came to a masterclass here with the makers of People Just Do Nothing which was an absolute brilliant session about how um, a bunch of guys got together friends made YouTube videos and eventually Their whole journey, they became a BAFTA-winning team, BAFTA-winning comedy. And also the Screenwriters Lecture Series, where we've got people like Abby Morgan, Jimmy McGovern, Stephen Knight, sharing their expertise, uh, giving a lecture here at, at BAFTA. So it's really inspirational work. And the last thing was the annual TV lecture given by Jane Featherstone this year, the brilliant drama producer who's produced Broadchurch, Spooks, uh life on mars Uh, and she was talking about some of the issues that we'll be talking about today about new talent where do new writers come from the rise of the fangs that's facebook amazon apple netflix and google and how that impacts on the ecology of um british television especially british drama um so please check out all that content we've got lots of preview screenings coming up including a Sky Drama with Lenny James called Save Me, uh, and I think next week, uh, 24 Hours in Police Custody, uh, Channel 4's documentary series. So um, check out the BAFTA website, and if you're not a member, please look at the website uh, and see uh, what experience you need to join. Uh, What I'd like to say is BAFTA's much more inclusive, and we want a much more diverse membership, Uh, so if you're not a member, please consider joining. We're a brilliant academy, and we do great stuff. Uh, I'll let Benji take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Krish.
1: Um, good morning, everyone. I am delighted to say that we have with us the uh, the fab four of British television drama. Uh, they need no introduction, but I will give you a brief one anyway. Um, Anne Mensah was appointed head of drama at Sky for the entertainment channels in 2011. There's Anne. Um, Proceeding that, she spent 10 years at the BBC, and her credits at Sky include Delicious, Riviera, and Tin Star. Uh, Beth Willis joined Channel 4 in 2012 as Deputy Head of Drama and was promoted to Head of Drama in June 2016, and her credits include Humans and The State. Uh, Piers Wenger was appointed Controller of BBC... Wenger? Wenger? Wenger. Wenger um, was appointed Controller of BBC Drama, not to get things right, in late 2016... (coughs) Prior to this, he was Head of Drama at Channel 4 and his recent commissions include A Suitable Boy and The Three, of which I'm sure we'll hear more later. And Polly Hill was appointed ITV's Head of Drama in 2016. Um, before that, she was Controller of BBC Drama Commissioning and her upcoming commissions include Mike Bartlett's Trauma and Kay Meller's Girlfriends. Uh, so you know the plan for today is to begin with a discussion with all of the panel, uh, in which we'll cover some common themes, um, look, go over some talking points. Then uh, each of the controllers here can lay out their uh, manifestos for drama at their channel. And they're also going to play some short clips. Uh, so I don't forget, when you see the clips, please don't go and tell everyone all about them, because I understand they may be slightly spoilery, and that would be really annoying. Uh, and then finally, in the most important bit, we will have plenty of time at the end for your questions. So as you think of them throughout, scribble them down, hold them up here, and we'll get to them in the end. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's talk about drama on TV in the round. Uh, We have all heard a lot about the uh, supposed golden age of drama. I wonder, from your point of view, maybe, Piers, if you'd like to start, what is the state of play in British television drama at the moment?
2: I think it's a time of in, enormous opportunity, um, and you know, there's there's so many buyers now, there's, and there's so many opportunities for drama makers in in the UK. That um, that yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of good work being made, and a lo, you know, a really clear um, pathway for talent to grow up from you know from from. from uh, for writing dramas for channels like BBC Three and E4, through to writing for you know for the, for the for the big channels like BBC One and ITV and Sky, so yeah, I think it's um I think it's a good time because there's lots of opportunity.
1: Is it uh, Polly? Does it you've been commissioning for several channels some time? Does it feel like this really is boom time? Is it exciting doing your job?
3: it's exciting because the more opportunities there are for producers and writers the greater confidence there is i think in the industry so what's really exciting now that wasn't the case when there was less opportunities for people is that you know there's just a greater there's a sense that if you make if you produce a good script it'll find a home somewhere so there's not that sort of sense of if you you know as a broadcaster that if this isn't right for you because obviously you're making a judgement call on what's right for your channel not always on whether or not a script's good it's just is this right for what we're trying to do so that gives huge confidence, and you can feel writers and producers coming in, and it just raised the bar in terms of what we can all do, I think.
1: And Anne, do you feel that, uh, as Polly says, there's places for everything, it would appear these days. Does that mean there's too much sometimes, that stuff can get lost, or is it harder to get stuff that people will see and talk about?
4: Um. Was, it's funny, people talk about television, there being too much television, but very rarely talk about there being too many books. So I sort, <laughs> of, I sort of think really great things will be found eventually. Um, I do think that what it does do is it means that the mediocre may get lost, it completely honestly, when there's so much choice. What it does is it puts the, ha- the power in the hands of the audience and it democratises what's good and what's not. And just because you put... You know, tons of press or advertising behind a show that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a success and I quite like that it does mean that it's it's scary yeah. to be in our position because people just go yeah no
3: I also think that when you're making decisions you do sometimes I think it's got to cut through that mm-hmm. there is a huge drama audience now and they're not necessarily loyal to any broadcaster they just want great drama and they'll find it wherever it is but it means that when you're looking at it, you go, how do we, without being stunty for us, but how do you get people to it? So there's got to be something noisy in the idea or, or just in the casting or fresh in the thing. And, and so the harder thing for me, I think, to get through is how do you make those really rock solid procedural shows, which you, which we still need. Not everybody needs, but we, because it's like, how do you cut through now? How do you make an audience come to them, um, which we will once you do, it, how do you get writers to want to come and write them because it's those big noisy things that you can kind of showy things I think you can see how they cut through but for us at ITV it's not everything that we want to do
4: but also just it pushes innovation because actually those days when you could have six things that were slightly repetitious people will just not go to the fifth or sixth yeah. they're looking for freshness they're looking for diversity they're looking for impact and people talk about noisiness as and I know that's not what you're saying, is a bad thing, but actually I just think that people, audiences have really great taste and they just don't want to be bored. And so yeah, no, totally. And I, think, I think there
2: is, a, there is a danger, though, that, that, that too much drama is conceptual mm-hmm. and, that, and, that, and that there is, you know, I've, I've sort of, you know, I've, I've felt myself do it. You kind of get really hooked in by a sort of sexy concept or conceit, but then, you know, is the, is the content that comes behind it Good enough is mm-hmm. that you know is that is the storytelling and the and the and the characterisation. I think they, those are the things that I think hold an audience yes. beyond the first episode. I think you can have a sexy concept and get lots of people turning up to the first episode, but I think unless the content behind it is really strong and and the, you know the, the really good basics of good of, of good storytelling are there, that, they that won't that's in a world anyway. where there is so much choice, that's where I think you lose the audience. That's by the biggest three. challenge
5: for linear broadcasters is that we need people to come back week after week, whereas, obviously, if you're an escrow platform, you know, they, they will judge success on episode three. We have to judge it on episode one, really, and, and that is a challenge, but it's, you know, it's a good challenge. That's part of our job, to work out not only kind of how to bring an audience, but, but, but to us and kind of the producers to make sure that an audience stays. Um, it's just a new challenge. I do think the boom for drama really does mean there's a lot more opportunity for new talent, new writing talent, a uh, variety of different kinds of ideas. I think people are much less set in their ways than they used to be about what works on their channel. And I think we've all been forced to really define who we are as broadcasters, who, you know, I know we are constantly at Channel 4 talking about what is the Channel 4 taste, what, you know, what is our identity, because having a point of difference uh, in a world where there are so many uh, channels now um, is really, really important.
1: And is it an endlessly virtuous circle? Are viewers coming to see more innovative productions and therefore wanting even further innovative productions? Is the audience being, I, I hate to say educated, that sounds... But, but are they... that they want more now, you find?
4: It depends what you mean by innovative, because I always think people think innovative is six aliens dropping out the sky. But um, actually, innovative could be super quiet. Or, you know, I'm a massive fan of Derry Girls that you guys had. And in some ways, that isn't shouty in a kind of aliensy way. It's just about heart and people and girls being funny at a particular time in history. So you sort of go... Actually, sometimes when everybody's being really noisy, go quiet and that's as innovative as the other way. So it's that, there's so much. It's just
3: the bar, it does feel that the bar's really high. So whatever sort of show you're offering the audience, you have to make the best version of that show. And if you've made a right decision in terms of what that show is, and then you, you know, it's a long process and lots of people involved. But if you make something that, if you put a foot wrong now, it feels that actually there's something else that people can watch. And I always feel like in that first episode the audience is almost saying, I've got so much to watch, you've got to be really good mm. for, to me, for make me stay. And then if it is really good, they will stay. And the audience is smart and they only come to something that's really good, but you've got to get them there. And then as Pierce says, you've then got to be good enough to keep them there. But then if you are, there's huge loyalty and huge wins and it's joyous to see an audience loving content in the way that they do now, you know, when you get it right. And the... And it feels like you can make a proper big national event in a way on these channels that you can't do anywhere else so when you get it right it's amazing but it is you know it means that we've all got to be at the top of our game all of us not just us but you know My program th- makers
5: also you know audiences may be watching a lot but they still like things that are challenging watches you know i feel on channel four shows like the state about isis and kiri which is on at the moment about a social worker. Um, you know an End of the Fucking World uh, another show we've got all a kind of quite different and edgy and challenging pieces but audiences have come to it so I think it, loads and loads of drama doesn't mean we suddenly have to get really obvious and just have lots of stuff out there it's, it's, it's really got to, to have, have a bit of quality to it
1: Does more than ever it depend on episode one you've all talked about getting people at, at, because obviously that's not something that affects your S4s your Netflix etc do you find that you have to get the first episode right? I'm thinking in practical terms of people who are out there writing it.
3: Yeah Yes. you can get the first yes, three. Definitely. I mean, you then have to hold people. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's about... It's I think there the are yeah. two things, which is now you have to cut through in a noisy market. So you have to make an audience go. Actually, I'm going to choose that rather than everything that I've got stacked up on my thing to watch or whatever else is on another channel. And then you've got to hang on to them, you know. So it's it, you just. I mean, honestly, it's not. You've just got to make a really great show. And if you make a really great show, and um, that's not easy because it's a lot of people involved and it's a big old process making a drama. But um, but then you then people stick with it. But it's about first episodes, but not at the expense of the series, but I think you do have to be really aware in your first episode that you haven't got forever Mm. to hook people in. And you and that doesn't mean that everything has to be, you know, tricksy, but you have to be quite clear, I think, in the proposition. And then you can be complex in the way that it develops but but i don't think if people are rooting yeah. around to go i don't know what this
2: is yeah, and yeah i think the simplicity the seat is really key for for live broadcasters and less so for S-bods. I think the s pods have driven the the appetite mm. which, which shows like black mirror for for high concept pieces but i think when you're when you're sitting down to watch something live you you, you know you've you, you've taken the time to do it and you want you know you want pleasure and i think that Sometimes that means not having to work too hard to understand someone's very brainy concept. What you want to do is just straightforwardly immerse yourself in the pleasure of character and emotion and good writing and direction.
4: Well, what I would say is that Spice so sit somewhere in the middle of this because we obviously box set hmm. on Atlantic, which is a slightly different viewing experience because I think you have a different sort of contract, particularly on a channel like Atlantic, which is sort of known to be a home of brilliant drama. People are coming and they're willing to sit, and that's why I would say on Atlantic at least, the first three episodes they're all super important because people will almost give you they'll give you the time Bit of leeway, Yeah, because they're expecting, that's the other thing like, there's not a I think there used to be one audience experience on British television and there isn't anymore and actually people come to view things in different ways so you go to The Good Doctor on Sky Living for one particular experience you go to you know, Big Little Lies on Atlantic for another experience so it's not, it's worth people remembering what channel they're going to end up on because it's not the same.
1: Beth you were going to say something um, I Sorry, sorry. You wanted yeah, to I sorry Sorry, i do
4: that sure all. it was very
5: interesting
1: uh, My husband says uh, that too Speaking of uh, interesting or not interesting, money um, let's talk about funding because we have to, um, is how has financing drama changed over the last few years and how has that affected your jobs if at all
5: I think we're sort of coming full circle. We've had a few years of uh, onslaught of co-productions, often kind of 50-50, with SVOD platforms. And I think now, uh, you know, they're sort of here to stay and they're just channels within their own right now. They're not kind of over there in America. You know, for something like Netflix, UK is, I think, their second most successful territory. So... They're essentially a a, a channel like the rest of us are, and so we will continue to do co-productions with them where the development fits and where we both mutually want to do that. But I think equally at Channel 4, we have a number of productions at the moment that we are co-financing with uh, distributors rather than uh, other broadcasters, which is sort of, when I say the old-fashioned method, I mean like of three years ago, so it's not that old-fashioned. Um, and, you know, we we fully fund a number of shows, too, and I think we have to put our money where our mouth is a bit. If we are saying to writers and producers, come to us with your best ideas, if we're going to support them and nurture them and see them through, if it's something we really, really want to do, uh, and it's a very British idea that in the first can't-get-co-production money, then, you know, we will will obviously look to distributors and so on, but if necessary, we will fully finance, and we do that a lot. Um, And I think that that's that's just good I think we're sort of all boxing clever and working different ways working out different ways to finance things you know if you look at something like Happy Valley that's one of Netflix's most successful shows and it probably needed to be made first before that was something that Netflix realized they wanted because it's so British and it's so uh, distinctive so it, it's all changing but I think we're all just kind of working out new ways of doing things in a positive way
1: is it the case that I mean, a lot of these things, these shows, would they be made, could they be made with just your own money? Or do you always have to look to co-productions to make the sort of ambitious dramas we're we're talking about?
3: No, because, I mean, we only buy the UK licence anyway to show it to the rest of the world, but it depends how big a budget you're talking about. I mean, it has unbelievably changed the landscape of British drama without question, the amount of money that's come into it, and it was constantly changing, and it will be different in five years to the place it is now. I mean, the thing that hasn't changed is... It, you know, in, at the moment, you're, you're trying to work out, particularly ITV, when you're going, this has to get as many people in this country watching this content. It's very specific, yeah. and there is a very strong British element to it. And so you've got to be careful that, you know, not to be making something that feels so international, it feels like an acquisition, because that doesn't work at the heart of ITV schedule. So we do, it's exciting to be able to think, you know, you can't, you would have to stop creativity, because for the right idea there will be the budget there, but it's not driven by budget ever for me. It's always driven by the idea, and it's brilliant to have... You know, liar wasn't a huge budget, and it was a massive, big hit for us. So not everything has to be on that sort of scale. But for the shows that we want to make, and we tend to generate the ideas first, then the brilliant thing is you can attend at the moment find those partners I mean that could all change you know it's all changing all the time and we will constantly adapt to it is the truth and find drama you know the most important thing is making the right drama for all of our channels but it is ever changing and evolving in an exciting way there's no point not embracing it and saying you know there are positives and negatives inevitably you know this challenge the, the rise in all this appetite for drama and this money has meant that the bar's risen and has meant that the confidence has gone up for everybody in terms of what we can make and has changed viewing habits for the audience in an exciting way but the challenge is there's more people wanting to come to develop shows with all the people that we want to develop shows with so and that the positive on that is that we that we look beyond just at the key kind of writers and we do give chances to new writers and all of that so that you know the challenges and positives to all of this
4: i think the thing that people always just have to remember is i doubt any of us would ever make a show because the money works. no no and i think people i think it from when it's when somebody when you're working really hard to get a commission and you're looking for every opportunity every angle to get that commission to get noticed, sometimes you think, saying, well, I've got 50% of the money, I've got 75% of the money, will help. And I don't think it ever does, because you just have to love the idea, because you've got nothing else to guide you, beyond, I just really like this, and I'll make the money work afterwards.
1: Is it the case you'd say the bar has risen? That's undoubtedly true. Have the cost risen? Is it, is it just a fact yeah. you can't make a drama <laughs> for less than...
2: I, don't know what I think the tax credit, yeah. episodes, the tax credit made a big helped. difference. That kind of pushed the threshold up. You know, once a per hourly budget goes beyond a certain rate, then, um, then, then. And the producers gets the benefit of the tax credit. Yeah. So I think that that had a big effect. And mm.
5: but I don't think budgets need to be... I think it's, it's probably the question is less about budgets under a million. The question is more about budgets that are three million yeah. versus a million because you can still make a really fantastic show for, for one, 1.2. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you can make a fantastic show for three, but three doesn't equal a fantastic show. A good story equals a fantastic show. So that's where the variation is, I think, now. Mm.
1: Um, where does that leave, I don't know exactly who's in the audience, but smaller indies who want to make drama, have they been priced out of the market or are they still in the game as far as you It's see? about
3: ideas. I mean, I would just, you know, it's about finding new writers if you haven't got access to, you know, some of those writers that you feel are going to get commission, It's not true. It's all about good ideas. Finding new writers, finding a good book, you know, investing in, a, in something that will translate into a great story because it's all about the story in the end. And actually, it's as much about that. I would I've commissioned three shows with new writers, but all of them came as a script because actually those they had written a script and taken them to a producer, and the producer had worked on it and brought it to us. So you know, there's that way of doing it, and just going. Actually, of course, we'll invest in new writing. It's all about how good that idea is and how good that script is. It's not, and that's what you should be doing. You know, just we're, there's so much need for content now. Just be looking at what you where you think the gaps are and, and where you think who you think the next talented, next generation of talent's coming for, as I said, or
2: option books and just because you're a small indie doesn't mean you're gonna not gonna have brilliant ideas, yeah. you know that, you know, and, and there's no, you know, everyone gets paid the same, irrespective of whether they're a big or big or a small indie. Um, you know, as Polly said, uh, that the the competition for talent has created uh, a need for, for for everyone to work with a, with a with a wider range of writers, just to just to be able mm. to commission the number of hours that we all have to commission. So I think there's actually more entry points than the, than there's ever been mm. um, well, for Indies of all sizes.
4: I do think there's something about excellence and playing into your strengths, because I don't necessarily think that every single person, you know, somebody who has never made a drama before, has never worked with hundreds of people in a massive crew or millions of pounds worth of risk, can just assume that they will get a commission just like that. I think that's always, I think it, that's sometimes not the way forward. I think you have to look at what you are brilliant at and maybe find people to complement your brilliance. So if you have a great idea but you've never made a £3 million drama, you probably need to find somebody who has just so you can learn from them because you just you just need to increase your chances rather than thinking you can just go straight in at the top, because the competition is so high, the standard is so amazing, you, you're you daft if you think that that doesn't come at the cost of experience. People who make amazing dramas have been doing it for a really long time. And,
1: I mean, that leads me on to talking about writing in general. There is undoubtedly a trend for a certain number of writers, who we, names we'll all know, seem to get a lot of stuff because they are brilliant. Where does that leave... Emerging writers and how they get a foot on the
2: ladder for you guys. I mean that the emerging writers are some of the best conversations I have are, are with emerging writers. You know, you I think that freshness of voice and um, and you know not be not having the baggage of having written hundreds of hours before is often you know a real bonus, yeah. something incredibly positive. And you know, Polly's just talked about the new writer she's commissioned. I, I've done the same since I've being in post, you know, our, our jobs are to be the best possible platform for, for British creativity, you know, there's massive amounts of interest yeah. in British writing talent and... Um,
3: it's, the, it's the same as Anne said about producing. I mean, I, I think there's absolutely an appetite for new writers, I mean, without question, and we have commissioned new writers, you know, put our money where our mouth is, absolutely. But it's also about making sure that, that they have the right support because you know we've got Mark and Johnny doing White Dragon eight hours of a big international thriller uh, but they had Jack and Harry behind them to kind of work with them and I think you have to be realistic about partnering because it's it's big and expensive making drama and there's you know and it's hard to get from that first idea and that first script to the edit <coughs> where you'll go you know we've done it actually it's a, it involves a lot of people and it's a long journey so it's, you absolutely support those writers when they're ready to do that, but they just, depending on what sort of show it is and how many hours and what the ambition of it is, just need to help protect people mm-hmm. to make sure that they get there.
5: But that's good for everyone's sake anyway, I think, because, you know, um, we've, we've got a couple of shows at the moment, End of the Fucking World and Pure, written by Charlie Cavell and Kirsty Swain, who are both new writers, um, Charlie came up through uh, our four screenwriting scheme. There are lots of screens, sc- schemes across all the channels, loads of entry points, and we are constantly, you know, looking at the people coming through those those schemes and, and, and trying to find them homes. And frankly, they're all snapped up by producers very quickly. But in both those cases, it's Clark Well and Drama Republic, they're incredibly supportive producers. And I think that's really good for a new writer. Mm. I do think there is a bit of a problem at the moment that new writers are snapped up really quickly and agents will send them around town to every producer there is and they will all get lots of attention and they'll get flirted with and they'll get lots of treatments and ideas commissioned and then they sort of go, oh, my God, what next? And potentially, on a few occasions recently, kind of burn out before they've really begun. So it's really important to kind of, I think, as a new writer, sort of find your kind of lobster, really, and find your producer that is going to nurture you and look after you and be there to catch you because... It is a big, scary, pressurised thing, pulling off, you know, more often than than it used to be, writers are writing whole series. So writing six hours of, eight hours of drama when you've never done it before, with the pressure of a schedule and that budget, is is terrifying. So it is important. I also think
3: if if you're a young, new writer, write, you know, is the thing. So we're doing another thing, which I couldn't show because the clip was too long here, with Sheridan Smith, which is very UK-based and absolutely not big co-production, and it's brilliant, it is, it's you... funny, it's called Clean Break, and it's by a brand new um, writer, and he had written a script and sent it to Jane Featherstone with a director that he was working with as an editor, and, it, and, you know, and then she said, right, I'm, she did some work on it, and then she sent it to me, but, so that was a script, you know, sometimes you just go, I can do it, I want to do it, do it, and yes, someone will work with you and, and, you know, and fine tune it, but just do it and send it out.
4: But also, I, don't, I think we have to be really careful that we don't associate new with young because mm-hmm. there's tons of writers that have got hours and hours under their belts, particularly on the long runners, that people that don't become the hot thing of the moment and actually have got the experience to do really interesting things. And sometimes I think that we define good in quite rigid ways and actually true diversity of voice is finding older writers, women you know, BAME, just making sure that actually uh, the dramas that we make sound different mm. um, and that comes from a complete diver- diversity in the way that you look at what new is because new might not be new in reality, it might just be new to you. But
1: then there are there are lots of, we've we, we mentioned briefly, there are lots of schemes um, for those sort of writers. You're talking about how do they catch up, or directors, yeah. how do they catch a break? How do they be- get but above them? I think them it's
4: there? where... We have, a, and the producers that we work with, and as, as a TV community, we have a real. Um, we have a. We should be out there making sure that we talent scout properly. That we're not just going for whoever is the big shiny thing that we all hear about, but that we're going to all the festivals. That we're looking online. I think you know, finding people through YouTube, finding little rehearsed readings, just being as broad as minded as possible. In the ways that we work, but that's not necessarily us. It's actually probably our teams that we work.
2: I think it's about a real commitment to range as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, as Beth was saying, it's a big ask for a, an, a, an emerging writer to <coughs> write eight hours of a big multi-million-pound series. I think you know one of the things I've really tried to do in the last year is make sure that there are a range of opportunities, whether it's writing a half-hour you know comedy drama for BBC Two or, or writing a three-hour. Hard hitting factual drama for BBC one or or, or, or a short form series for BBC three. I think, you know, there needs to be an ecosystem through which writers can develop. And I think the if there's if there's one potential downside to the influx of, you know, international money into into British drama, it's that there's a particular, you know, it's it's skewed the sector in in in, in one particular direction, which is big budget, high concept, genre. And, you know, that's a broad generalisation, but I think that is what the SVODs generally want, and they want returnable franchises. And I think that doesn't necessarily give, you know, emerging writers the space they need to develop organically.
1: That I mean, that links into the last question I have for you before we go to look at some of your clips, which is, in terms of what these writers are writing, does it have to have a sort of global appeal? Does it have... I mean, we've talked, you know, mm. White Dragon is international. The Three, which we're going to talk about, is also set around the world. Mafia is all over the place. Does, is that a necessary thing, or is there still a
2: place for small absolutely British Absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, um, those are just... Three shows yeah, yeah. out of all of the hours of, of drama that, that we're making this year, and and um, there are lots of examples um, of 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 much smaller shows that aren't that aren't big and international, that are you know that 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 respect the fact that so many brilliant writers in the UK come from a theatre background, and 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 you know Duncan Macmillan writing Trigonometry for BBC Two, that that you know he is a playwright who who was writing his first television series, and there are lots of examples like that of smaller shows. Nick Payne writing um, writing *One Last for BBC One*. That there's there's lots of examples of, of smaller shows that are domestic, that aren't international, that that allow allow those writers to develop. And but find you could also voice. you
4: can also have because also we have to be. So I prob- I always sound like I'm fighting against polarisation, but you can also have really big shows that are all in the UK. Like, So you know we're doing Curfew, which is a car race from London to Scotland. That's massive, but it's entirely British, and it's got British sensibility underneath it. Or Bulletproof with Noel and Ashley, which is, again, entirely British in its sensibility, but a massive show, because I think ultimately... You're looking for shows that hook an audience and if it, goes, it takes us right back to the beginning like if you do any one thing the audience will just eventually just go nas boring so you, you're looking for innovation so if everybody goes big and international go big and British or go small and British but also I think when, you, when you've got
3: drama going out on multiple nights across the week you don't want everything to feel the same so it's really important that you don't have
1: all that. Oh, hang on, <laughs> that
3: I know. you don't have lots of big international. Yeah, this is the bit where, where we all
1: get turned into robots. <laughs> Can we maybe not have? Thank you. <laughs> God, Polly, sorry. Well, it's
3: just that I don't think you. What you don't want on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever the days you know, is lots of big international shows that feel the same. So what you want yeah. to do is mix it up, mm. and and it's and that's what I'm saying is that it comes from an idea that you feel feels right for your channel and your audience, and that there is than the money to do ones which feel bigger, but also it's just as important, as I said, to do Liars, do Girlfriends, do Clean Break, all of which are very, very domestic and yeah. UK-driven and absolutely different in tone. So it's not the appetite is not about how do we get big international shows every night of the week, because I think audiences would be exhausted mm. by it, actually. on bored. And, mm. Yeah, and actually if that's the thing you're chasing, it's the wrong thing to be chasing. I, chasing think, a story, not yeah. big? As scale. Beth
2: said, you know, I think one of the really great things about about British drama and British broadcasting at the moment is that the, the kind of the proliferation of buyers has, has forced the UK broadcasters to really identify what mm. they do, and, and to be really clear about that. And I think that does mean more more diversity for the audience greater yeah. greater mm-hmm. range across the channels you know i think your shows oh, at itv are you know they veil very squarely brilliant itv shows and and i think everyone has been through the same process yeah. of just trying to and
5: that's a really exciting thing mm. about british yeah. writers because i do think british writers are trained to find their voice and write you know, something that that, that that means something to them, whereas quite often American writers kind of go through a system where they're put in a writer's room and they're salaried and they learn their craft with kind of 12 other people and a showrunner in a room with a locked door over a year and come out very good at coming up with concepts and breaking stories and getting series to return within the year and sometimes I'm saying, God, why does it take us, you know, 24 months to get a second series or something and the Americans just go boom, boom, boom. And it's because... We're sort of allowing people to be authors, I think, and you know, I think the S4 platforms have spotted that, and they're, they're you know, they're over here um, thinking we want a bit of that authorship, but they also want it to come back within a year, and, and in a, in a way that that doesn't really marry up properly. And I think one of the really wonderful things about British broadcasters, all of them, and it's so important, is that we do look after our writers and talent, and we allow them to be nurtured and find their feet and. Um, and that, that's a really important thing.
1: OK, let's put some of these theories into practice and speak to each of you about what you either have been doing or have got coming up. We're going to start with Beth and Channel 4. So two simple questions that I will put to everyone, uh, which are, what are you trying to do at Channel 4 and how does it differ from what other broadcasts might be trying to do?
5: Yeah. Um, well, I suppose, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think it is more important than ever that we find our point of difference and we, we are a distinctive... Um, uh, place for drama, and I suppose you know those are two very different uh, projects. But they they don't feel obvious. They don't feel kind of slap bang in the centre. They feel uh, they feel a bit different. And I think Channel Four needs to feel like the sort of kid at the back of the class who's kind of poking at poking at what's co- contemporary and topical and a little bit edgy uh, and, and and subjects that feel uh, important but that they are done to what we've all been saying in terms of, you know, episode one, getting the audience in, being realistic about linear viewing, that they're done in a way that is accessible and that is watchable. Um, And, you know, I think Kiri is a great example. Over the years, we've had a number of pitches about social workers, clearly an absolutely vital topic that that really ought to be explored in drama, but they have always felt a little bit too earnest uh, and, frankly, a little bit unwatchable. But with Kiri... Uh, you know Jack Thorne wove those complex nuanced really interesting characters into uh, an absolutely gripping four parter uh, and you know woven through it not in a kind of banging over the head way but but woven through it was a was a who done it uh, you know which which does kind of Help, help drive you along, and it was just a really clever way of, of approaching a difficult subject that we wanted to explore, but with an eye on, will an audience come to it, and I think we did the same thing with Peter Kosminski's The State, you know, again, ISIS, an incredibly complicated, difficult subject to tackle in drama, but I hope one that really allowed people to view that subject in a, in a, in a different way, I think it was quite sort of revelatory plea, piece, National Treasure to the same thing. We've just announced Lucy Kirkwood's Chimerica, uh, which is an adaptation of her, her award-winning stage play about uh, America's relationship uh, with China and exploring fake news uh, in a post-Trump age. And we've got another couple of announcements coming in a couple of weeks, all of which are about knotty, complex, contemporary topics, uh, but told in a way uh, that will hopefully bring an audience to it.
1: OK, thank you. Um, let's have a little look at the BBC now.
2: Well, I think, I think the BBC is about you know, broadening the range of what, of what British drama means, getting there first with, with new ideas, and that, that comes from backing authorship. I, I don't know what the next big thing is going to be, but I trust writers to tell me, and I think that comes... Uh, you know, finding those ideas comes from empowering writers to uh, not just do... What as a commissioner you necessarily want them to do, but to to take you know to to to, to take their own path. So Jed very brilliantly wrote Line of Duty, he's written four series of Line of Duty, and but he wanted to take a break from that to write Bodyguard, which isn't a kind of straight up and down cop show. It, it it sort of sits in the genre of its own. So so it is you know the BBC is all about being the best possible home for writers and backing writers to do what they want to do. So Sally Wainwright going off to write Gentleman Jack, having written Last Tango and, and, and Happy Valley so brilliantly, but she wanted to do something very new, very bold, very different, Steve Knight tackling Dickens. But it's it's not just about those big writers, it's about, you know, be, you know championing authorship of all types across the board. So we've already spoken today about introducing new writers and, and BBC One being a platform for, for newer writers, um, Rory Haynes and Saurabh Nashalvani writing um, Informer, Duncan Macmillan writing tri- Trigonometry, Nick Payne writing Wonderlust. It's, you know, there are, the great thing about, about the BBC, I think, the thing that, you know, we really need to cherish is, is the range of work that we can carry across the three channels, which means that there, 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 there are opportunities for writers at all different levels to write in forms which, which serve, which play best to their strength and serve their idea best. Mm. Uh, do you, one final question: do you, Are you,
1: when you see a, a show like that, or you know the slate that's coming up, and this maybe for all you, is it exciting? Do you?
2: Why do I make, do I seem like I'm not excited? <laughs> <laughs> well, you. I mean, you've been making drama for a long time, all of you. Yeah, it. very old. Um, but um, it's hugely exciting. It's yeah. massively exciting. I think you know you. I think that you, I'm sure all of these guys say the same thing. You you are under pressure to yeah. to to. to, to to, to spot a good idea and to and to and to spot a brilliant new writer, so so there is a certain amount of you know there's a certain amount of pressure that come that comes with the job, but it's a brilliant one and you never get bored of it. Story is a constantly elliptical kind of shifting thing that you're always trying to, you know, you're always trying to get to the center of. So, and that is the same whether you're script editing on a soap or, or whether you're doing one of our jobs. And that is the pleasure. And that's why you can, you can, you can do these jobs for a long time because, because it's a constantly sort of shifting medium with a constantly shift of people, shifting uh, pool of talent working in it. And uh, what is, what's the strategy at Sky?
4: Um, So we've been on a journey over the last six years um, because we're sort of the newest guys in the block and so a lot of what we were doing at the beginning was making people notice us and you got the big shows from us like Fortitude um, and that brilliant sort of noise and energy, and maybe a slightly different way of going into drama, telling slightly different stories. And we're incredibly customer focused at Sky. So it was always about connecting with our customers and what they wanted to see. So it's a real entertainment foot forward. It was often huge scale, quite a lot of humor underneath our stuff. Like we're very rarely po-faced. You know, we might tackle a difficult subject like John Ridley's Gorilla, but we try and, you know, it starts with a prison break. We always try and do it with energy. What I think is that 2017 was a brilliant year for us and we began to really sort of solidify what we were doing. So we had big hits with Riviera, the amazing Tin Star, and we realised that we could sort of capture an audience. Delicious does really well for us, Jamestown. um, And we just felt this sort of confidence that made us go, okay, people sort of know that we do these big shows, um, so we're going to do something different. So we are aligning, we're not stopping doing the big shows, so you saw the announcements about Curfew and Helen Mirren's new show will be with us, but we are also looking to develop a strand of shows that are slightly more urgent, so they still have our brand value, so they're still fun, they're still um, energetic, but they are deliberately contemporary and they're deliberately trying to sort of tap in to kind of some of maybe the more modern British preoccupations. So that our audiences have both things. They have the big, slightly roller coastery shows and they have slightly more heartfelt personal shows. That doesn't mean they're smaller, it just means that they're slightly more heartfelt. Um, The show that I've got a tiny clip of, I slightly had a sneaky Hmm. two-clip.
1: Very greedy, but... Short
4: two-clip thing um, is Save Me, just because I think that it's the first show that will come along that people will be surprised that we commissioned. It's not quite in the Made in Britain strand um, because we commissioned it a while ago. As we've been talking about, we just commissioned it because we loved Lenny's script. I mean, I can't even begin to describe how brilliant Lenny James's script was and then made by the incomparable world productions and Simon Heath and Jess Sykes but we made it because we loved it we realized that actually it added something to our portfolio and our range that we feel confident enough to do now so that's you know and we're looking at lots of other things as well we're looking at short form we're looking at mobile we're looking at VR I mean we're just we're, we're just having fun I think we sort of hit a moment where we went all right Fuck it, let's have
1: fun. Polly, before we uh, open things up to the audience, tell us uh, what you're trying to achieve at ITV and say how White Dragon fits into that.
3: Well, ITV wants to be at the heart of popular culture. It's unashamedly mainstream. And so in terms of drama, we're just constantly looking at what that means because it's ever-changing. And it goes into the conversation that we're all having about there's a huge appetite for drama and a big audience for drama but they're not broadcaster loyal you know they're they're consuming a lot so but it's changing that space so for me it's about looking at where the boundaries are and just how you reinvent and refresh and offer audiences something that's distinctive and different but don't become niche and that's always the challenge is how do we stay mainstream how do we and I think that's a lot of A big emotion really, really helps. So with this, you know, brand-new writers, it felt really exciting to take us into Hong Kong, but it was an emotional story, and the reason I loved it, it was, you know, a gripping story about a guy who goes out to Hong Kong to identify the body of his wife because she worked partly here and partly there and discovers that she's got a whole other life there that he didn't know about, and then wonders whether you know, she was murdered and has to go on that journey. It's really emotional, personal journey. It's not about a big international thriller in that sense. It's a very... And that's what made it feel ITV for me. And I suppose if we were... If I was going to give... You know, it's one show can't define a channel, so it was just, you know, this was felt... It was ready to go and it was the right length. But if I could have done three shows that would sort of start to give the range, it was... You know, we're doing a big adaptation of Vanity Fair because it feels... Gwyn's scripts are hilarious and witty and irreverent, and that sort of sense of, you know, doing an adaptation that that feels um, that it's got something to say about modern life. It's a young girl in Becky Sharp who just wants to better herself, but there's wit and humour, and it feels joyous. Um, And then we're also doing Clean Break, which is a really hard tone to get right because it's funny and it's about Sheridan Smith who's a cleaner who's got gambling issues but it's not bleak and she robs the banks to try and better herself to try and save her to try and hang on to her kids and it's working girl it's funny it's again so it's just it's about finding that range constantly but <coughs> making things that feel entertaining but without that being one note because you can do something that's heart-wrenching and tough what you can't do is something that's unremittingly bleak or too pretentious or alienating so for me it's about finding something that can cut through in and I don't think that's about it always being big and noisy but cut through in a way that feels clear um, and makes you want to go oh I want to hear I want to know more about that story and then in the development of it, it can be complex and rich. But I think what we can't do is, on ITV, because you really do have that first episode to hook them in, is be too overly complex that people just can't engage with it. You know, it can't be too rarefied and over there. It's got to grab you and hook you in. So for that, it's it, a lot of it's emotion, but it doesn't mean that everything has to be out, you know. Um, so that's the exciting thing. I, I love it, and I love that space. There's sort of nowhere to hide because it is about saying, we want everyone to watch it. We want as many people in the UK to watch our content as possible. But we also know that's really hard and we don't always get it right. So it's just, but, what we're, but we're not deliberately trying to make something that feels niche and put it at the heart of ITV to try and do something brave. We're trying to be aware that people, that, that what you could do on that platform has changed significantly. And we're trying to um, respond to that.
1: Okay, thank you. Uh, let's get some questions. There are microphones float well, not literally floating, but they are around. And if you are a journalist, would you want to say where you're from? Uh, right, stick your hand up and don't all go at once. Yes, there's a gentleman there. Uh, yes, thank you very much for a very interesting panel. And uh, I'd like to just ask about the the issue of uh, international versus British content, because um, having having written an ITV show that was very British, um, specifically Northern Ireland, i I've found it actually very difficult to get any interest at all in ideas that are not very, very British. Um, so I, 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 I know you've obviously shown some clips of very interesting work that is outside Britain, um, like White Dragon, but do you... Can you, can you point any of you to other stuff which, which you know, could show the way for people who, uh, particularly we, in the Brexit looming world, you know, who don't want just to write about we, Britain?
3: That's my, the thing at ITV is really simple for me, which is that it mustn't feel like an acquisition. There's no other rule for me. You know, it absolutely doesn't have to all be set here, but also we do want to celebrate being here to, so it's a mix for me I've got lots of shows coming up actually that are set abroad um, but it's got to have a UK angle because otherwise it, it will look like an acquisition and we can't put that I don't think you know at nine o'clock on ITV but there's no rule about you know it's how that however UK focused it is it's just um, so I don't don't know
4: I don't know I'd say we're the same we look for things that don't feel like an acquisition because obviously there's so many acquisitions on sky but I also like to think that the joy of sky is that we're a properly international country we're in Spain um, Germany and Italy and so we stand in the UK but face the world so I mean we've just finished the third season of the tunnel which is in French and in English with many a Brexit joke, so <laughs> literally, so um, I mean, I would I would encourage you to yeah. watch because it's a, such a brilliant show and shows that you can feel like you speak to a UK audience and speak to an international audience as well. Ten stars set in Canada, but with the incomparable Tim Roth at the heart of it, making it feel very British. So, you know, I that I would think one of the best bits of my job is that I get to work with people around the world um, because it really opens your mind to what the possibilities are.
5: I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we've got a range, too. To America, I mentioned Lucy Kirkwood, very British writer, but it's, a, you know, about global politics. We've had Philip K. Dick uh on last year and again this year and we've got the first written by bo Willeman an American writer um you know but with some British characters in it um so you know we will constantly tackle global issues but I, I, I do think that Polly's right that having something sort of british in the mix that stops it feeling like an acquisition is is quite key because you know frankly if we're paying a top tariff for that then, you know, why are we doing that? Because, you know, we don't want it to feel like an acquisition. We want it to feel like a Channel 4 drama.
2: That doesn't always mean... I don't think they have to be British characters, though, for it it not to feel like an acquisition. I think Mafia is an example of, you know, a series where most of the characters are Russian, but it's the family at the centre of that series that I think you really fall in love with. Um, And that, you know, I think the sort of authorship um, that the way that British writers write is so good at cracking into character that that it's perfectly feasible to have a series that's set outside the UK with non-British characters and for it still to feel like there is enough of a, you know, there's enough Britishness there for it not to feel like an acquisition.
4: What also what I would say is when you're looking at international co-production, um, people seem to think that um, it's like an international thriller will do it. And in my experience, albeit limited, that never does it. Like the non-UK broadcasters are as brilliantly savvy as any of us, and so they want specificity. So actually, some of our biggest co-productions, like John Ridley's um, Guerrilla or Patrick Melrose, they are very, very British stories because it's the specificity that travels, because, weirdly, the specificity of voice allows you to have a universal um, subject, if that makes any sense. And I think that pieces that are sort of, I know the ones that make me, my heart sink is when somebody goes, oh, you've got Italy, Germany, and Spain in your portfolio. So we've got a thriller that's got an Italian, a German, and a Spanish person in it. And you're just like, oh, my God. Um, Whereas, like, The Young Pope, which felt incredibly Italian and was all about the voice of the writer-director, that, again, was a big international success. So it's a really weird thing that specificity, I think, equals international success sometimes.
0: Thanks very much, very helpful, thank you. Uh,
1: Who is next? Anyone? Yes, the lady in the middle there in the white.
5: Hi, Um, there was a lot of noise about a year ago about diverse hiring uh, directors specifically. (laughs) It'd be really interesting to hear how you guys have been finding... I know there's a lot of efforts to address that, but how you've been finding that.
3: I think it's an ongoing, isn't it? I mean, diversity is an incredibly important on-screen in terms of the story choices that we make in terms of on-screen talent and off-screen talent. And it's, you know, something that we're all in together, you know, particularly in terms of off-screen and crews. I mean, I think it's a big, big conversation about how we shift... Um, the nature of our industry Um, and we're constantly I mean I don't know that schemes is always the best way to do that I just think you know we're looking how do we bring people in how do we change how you know how do we make more diversity a really kind of important part of the next generation
5: have you got a sense of what what
3: route to do that might be or? well we're constantly having conversations well, um, and how we how we encourage and obviously in terms of who's actually there and working that's one thing but also how we change the nature of it so we're looking at you know it was really interesting on clean break jane Featherstone said i want uh, diversity to be in each of our teams so you know it comes from all of us i want to make sure that we're proactively looking at how we start to shift Every, so I want every team. And, and the things like that make a big difference, but it's also in terms of channels, we're looking at how we kind of can go to, how we can encourage people to come into the industry through different means. So you're using our returning soaps, are obviously a really good way into doing that.
2: Um, I, think, I think on-screen diversity, the, the, the picture has improved, but I think behind the camera, it's still a huge problem. Mm. you know there, 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 there are a number of projects where we've specifically been trying to find a non a non-white director because they've been non you know non-white non uk set stories and found it incredibly difficult and decided just you know made a tough decision not to make those projects until we can find baME directors. and you know there are, there are. There are schemes and strands within the BBC. The work that Anne Edivine does in the BBC writer room is incredibly focused, you know, on, on developing BAME writing and directing talent. Um, and, you know, we, we're constantly looking to film schools, the NFTS, to, to try and find the, the, the next generation of writers and, and directors, or, or a generation, because there hasn't been, you know, the, 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 the track record has not been, been good up to this point. But... Um, I think there's just so much more to do, particularly with directors. Because I think, I think we're,
5: we're... I mean, I, you know, Pure, a new show that's written by a new writer, has got a BAME director who is new, kicking it off, and he's really authoring the whole show, and that's incredibly exciting. Um, you know, we've got female writers, uh, female directors and and BAME directors cropping up in things like Actly Bridge uh, and Humans. Uh, so I feel like it is, it is changing, but definitely... Uh, the job is by no means finished yet, um, but I think it's something that there is much more awareness of, and I think it's being kind of turbocharged mm-hmm. by everyone, producers and broadcasters. Thank goodness.
4: I mean, at Sky we have really clear targets. So we have we have um, if we have a, um, a multi-writer project, um, 10% of the writers in the room have to be a BME. Um, our, our heads of department. Um, again, we have to have in really clearly named, this is all on our website, clearly named um, heads. One of them at least has to be a BME and um, the same with a 20% on-screen target. And I think the reason being is Stuart Murphy started that, goes across all of our genres. And I just think that you have to just do it. And mm-hmm. we fail. lot I'm not saying that we are perfect but what I can say is that every single time we launch a show we have a really difficult conversation where we say okay where are your where are your people that meet our targets and if you haven't got those people what are you doing about it because if you don't have an answer to that we're not doing it and it's super I mean it's not simple and it needs everybody but unless you change it at the top it filters down Mm -hmm. you know like I yeah I just think and we have, um, we have a, a table read once a month, and we and Cameron's on the BAFTA Elevate scheme, and we are not perfect, but we are trying our best. But I do think it is about being um, <coughs> almost aggressive about it for the people that are in the industry now. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And not wait for a whole bunch of mythical people to arrive. Uh,
1: Do we have any final questions? Yes, the gentleman
2: here,
1: there's
2: one to your left. Hello, thanks very much for a very interesting um, talk. Um, I'm extremely green and know nothing about any of this, just set up a production company, we've got a script that we really like, uh, optioning the script, um, and kind of got different bits of advice from different people, you know, if you connect this actor to it, or they'll make it, there'll be no questions asked, which I don't think is completely true. But I just wondered if what's the advice for the next steps for an independent production company who's just started out and um, kind of been given lots of um, conflicting bits of advice or, I don't know, maybe it's all relevant. I'm not sure. I'd find a commissioner who you get on with and who and who shares your passion for that writer's work, and because they will, you know, they, they will really want to know about it. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't come with cast attached. I think it is all about the writer, and it's all, all about the idea. So I think it's just uh, reaching out and finding a like-minded, you know, champion for your project.
5: And if you feel that um, you know it is proving difficult to get a foothold in that way, if you, I don't know how green you are, but if you're completely green. You know what these guys were saying earlier is a really good point. There are a lot of examples over the last couple of years of of newer production companies teaming up with more experienced drama producers to do their first show. You do it as an, an as in association with. You get it made. You kind of you know you get a bit of a runway up towards your next gig, which you're then going to fly and do yourself. Uh, but it is a good way to get the broadcasters to go, okay, we can we can place a bet. We can place millions of pounds on this. In the, on this producer, they've got the right writer, they've got the right idea, we just need to make sure that they've got kind of someone holding their hand the first time around. Um, and, you know, that, that's a really simple way of doing it. And if, if you're even struggling to get through to those commissioners, again, you know, teaming up with another production company and if getting them interested in it so that you can do it together is, like, no bad thing.
3: It's also hard though if you're starting off and you've got one script that you're back so it's it, I'm sure it's brilliant and you might well have the first development script that goes through but it, but it might not as well so it's also about getting to know other writers and um, meeting the agents and just you know getting access to other writers who might. Yeah. I mean, on. there's
2: a few other things as well, yeah. but it's, like, the one main thing.
1: You can read it if you like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just one thing you mentioned that maybe we could put to bed, but you, the idea that attaching talent to a script yeah, will somehow I'm, be a, a golden uh, ticket. I assume no. that's not the case.
4: Uh, uh, I am such a talk. So, okay, are we talking about Colin Farrell, or are we talking about... I mean, like. Yeah. I, think it, I think to say that talent attached to a script doesn't... Help? Help? Or I, or it does, I it think does. it
3: depends. I think it depends if it's somebody that makes you go. I mean, you know, and, it's, and there's not sort of a secret list of people. No. But I think be wary because some things. If you've got a script that isn't developed with a channel, then we might all want a different sort of cast. If it happens to be a script that could appeal to any of us, and that's there's not that many scripts that would, then we might all have a very different point of view in terms of who. We might want to. You're not going to
2: commission so, uh, us, Chris, t- no. just, on, just on the strength. Yeah, However much we may
3: love
4: that person. Yeah.
2: yeah. But also, really amazing. Um, is is there any merit in shooting a bit of it, like bits of it, no, tasters
1: no. of it, or not? No. <laughs> Unless you've got no. Colin Farrell. Case, go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll give him a call, too. <laughs> um, do we have time for one more question? Yes, I think we do. Um, I, I. Yes, there's a lady up there. I'm sorry if I've missed someone. No, no,
5: um, yes. Hello, thank you very much. It was very interesting. Um, just a quick question. In uh, these kind of days of multi-platforms and audience numbers obviously being spread and you're fighting for audiences,
3: are you looking at different measures of success for a show, about how to measure how well it's done, or is it still that very much the linear
5: overnights numbers that we all sit and dread at 9:38 in the different morning for
3: all of us for yeah. us it's definitely about how many people watch it it might be that you have a show that is hugely caught up on so that the overall audience actually you know um, it's overnights plus the consolidated but it matters to us massively um, and the overnights matter matter massively to us
4: whereas for us it really doesn't and every time anybody mentions the overnights everybody at Sky just goes like oh god because it's such an old fa- I mean it, it matters it if you've matters. got ab- if you've got advertising it's terribly
3: old-fashioned
5: sorry darling
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: but, um, but, but for, for a subscription service it what it ma- what matters is um, passion so what matters in the programming that I'm making is that people who watch it properly love it and that's what we measure of course we measure the scale of the audiences, but we're doing it over a week or even a month because which one of us all tip up and watch everything that night? People love to watch in threes or watch the whole thing in a weekend or so actually it's quite hard to judge people by how they've watched it and we're trying to make a at sky we, the whole point is that you can watch what you like when you like. So therefore, the question is not, did you watch it? The question is, did you love it? Because a whole bunch of shows where you're like, "Mm -hmm," doesn't make you want to pay for Sky. Two or three shows where you're like, that was my favourite show, that's what matters. So that allows us to be quite risky because I'm not trying to please everybody in the room. I'm trying to make some people really love it. So some people love... The, say the tunnel like you just wouldn't believe other people really love fortitude other people love delicious and that allows us to play with types and tones much more than worry about did we get x million we've got
3: to make everybody we've got to make as many people in this country want to watch it so liar when everybody starts talking about it, it's talking point fantastic but also vera equally big audiences that doesn't those are the sort of polar mm-hmm. things for us, which is, um, yeah, people. But that's because we ha- we occupy a very particular place. You want all of the channels um, doing a different thing, but we still talk to the UK in a very big way.
1: And Beth Piers, what, what are your measures a for success? A real variety
5: for us. You know, um, for us, it's, drama is a kind of brand-defining thing at Channel 4, so there are some shows that feel utterly iconic that may not have got a huge... Um, audience in terms of overnights but um but you know people talked about and kind of felt that shows represented the channel for 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 a long time uh, and also the specificity of audience again you know something like Ackley Bridge did something like three times a slot average for young people that's really good for us because obviously we're an advertiser funded uh, organization so if advertisers know that we can get that specific an audience uh then that's as valuable to them as massive overnight having said that obviously if i wake up in the morning and there's big overnights it's it's a nice day you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) for us for us it's a real a real mixed economy um i think there is nothing better than people watching and talking about your show on the night um and there are certain shows that really lend themselves to that. Ones which have amazing cliffhangers and twists and turns that you wouldn't want to put out all in one go because because of spoilers and because you want to be able to talk about them, discuss them, unpack them, and come up with all sorts of mad mad theories. But are you know part of what the BBC needs to do is to speak to more younger people, and we know that younger people, younger audiences like to watch when they want to watch it. That's you know that's that's what the SVODs offer, and i iPlayer. You know, offers the same thing, and we we look at ratings over a longer period now, so over a 30-day window, because what we found with our with the shows that have hit with younger audiences is they don't necessarily find them, you know, within the first within the first few weeks of live transmission. The live transmission eventually punches through into the world of a young person, and event and then and then they have the the sort of you know the the, the, the latitude to go and watch it watch the box set on, on iPlayer. So we we, we we do both and we need to do both.
1: That then is all we have time for. Thank you, uh, firstly, very, very much to our panel. That was most enjoyable. And thank you, all of you, for coming.